0: Since the early days of dial-up internet, messenger services have been connecting people around the globe. What started as simple instant messenger text conversations have evolved into an entirely new language filled with emojis, GIFs, and videos. Without question, the internet has forever changed the norms around how people communicate.
1: Just like in real life, we were seeing communication move away from email to messengers and messaging. And a lot of these technologies tend to move from people's personal lives or that sphere, consumer sphere, into business over time. And I just had deep conviction that that would happen.
0: That's Paul Adams, the senior vice president of product at Intercom, a company that took those same ideas and implemented them with the goal of making communication between customers and businesses a two-way street. Paul joined IT Visionaries to discuss why Intercom views its product as a relationship-based platform and what that means for businesses in today's world. Plus, he talks about recognizing the need to pivot when necessary and the evolution of the chatbot. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org.
2: Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. Today, special guest, we have the SVP of product, Paul Adams from Intercom on the show. Paul, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, delighted to be here.
2: Now listen, I wanna talk and get right into it as we do with all of our guests. For anyone who doesn't know, I feel like everyone does know, but for anyone who doesn't know, what exactly is Intercom and what does it do?
1: Yeah. So uh, we say we are a conversational relationship platform. And so what that means is that we make it easy for businesses to talk to customers and the customers to talk to businesses. And it's in, in many ways really that simple. You know, as, as kind of businesses moved online, it's just harder than in the real world to talk to your customers and know who they are and see them and learn about them. And then adapt your business to their needs. And uh, in the real world, it's quite easy. They walk in the door and you chat away and learn. Online, not so easy. And so Intercom was founded on that idea. We wanted to make it easy. And uh, yeah, it's been a journey since then.
2: So you've been with Intercom for quite a while. Uh, The company started a little bit before 2013 or right around 2013. Yeah. And on your LinkedIn profile, you say you were the 14th person there. So what caused you to want to join? Because it couldn't have been what it is now. I mean, it was just probably a little chat application. What made you join Intercom? Because you have big company experience. I mean, you've been at Facebook, you've been at Google, you've been at one of my personal favorite companies, Dyson. I love Dyson products.
1: Yeah, so- <laughs> yeah it's kind of a couple of things. Uh, like you said, I was at Facebook at the time, uh, loving Facebook, actually. Uh, you know, the Facebook I was at, I think, is, is a little bit unrecognizable from the Facebook today. This is back in you know, 2013, I think. The reason I joined was um, I, when I was at Facebook, I was obviously working on you know, social products. And at the time, Facebook was kind of seeing explosive growth as kind of people started to use the messenger and got talking to their friends on the platform. So we we're seeing these kind of like, you know, new changes in how society communicates because of these new technologies like Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. And then meanwhile, I knew two of the founders of Intercom, Owen and Dez. Just kind of personally, uh, we all kind of have design backgrounds. We're all from Ireland. And so, being a small country, you kind of get to know one another. That cliche is true. And so, I got talking to them. They founded Intercom. They were trying to do the same thing uh, for businesses as things like Facebook were doing for regular folks, you know, so you could use a messenger to chat to businesses if you were a customer. And they asked me to become an advisor in the early days as they were kind of starting up, getting raising seed rounds and stuff. So, I started doing that. And Helping them a tiny bit, not much, but through that process, I got to know Owen and Des a lot more. And one thing led to another. You know, those few beers I had, <laughs> and uh, I was just incredibly impressed, honestly, with Owen and Des. They're both visionaries. They had a big vision, a big mission that they wanted to achieve. And you know, I'd been at Google for a long time. I'd been at Facebook for a few years, and I had that kind of itch to scratch. You know, the kind of startup thing. Uh, Owen's kind of killer line was that uh, the hardest part was done. The, the A round, the series A was just raised. And so the company was off the ground, had traction. And so it was uh, it was kind of a bet worth taking, I thought at the time. And yeah, I've honestly never looked back. It's been a, it's been an incredible journey.
2: Now, what did traction look like for you at that time?
1: For in, in the company?
2: Yeah. Was it customers? Was it feedback? What did it start looking like where it was like, oh, okay, this is actually, this is going to work. Because let me back it up a second because you're, you're talking about, we're talking about this transformational way of communication, right? Mm-hmm. It used to be, or it still is. Well, I mean, the reality is it still is for a lot of companies. But if you go to a company's portal and you need help, there's not actually anyone to talk to. You can log a support ticket or an email. Like I'm thinking of my bank right now. Yeah. Right? I, I log this email and maybe it gets addressed in 48 hours. I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Right. So yeah. (laughs) So I'm curious what the traction looked like, right? So that made you say, okay, we're our bet is people want to communicate this way, and we're starting to see it.
1: Yeah, I think it's twofold. One was simply that I believed in the mission and the vision. And the vision, like you kind of alluded to there, was that just like in real life, we were seeing communication move away from email to messengers and messaging Mm -hmm. for some reasons faster, more personal. All sorts of things. It's much richer, you know, video and emoji and all sorts of stuff. And that was all kind of taken off around that time. And a lot of these technologies tend to move from people's personal lives or that sphere, consumer sphere, into business over time. And I just had deep conviction that that would happen. You know, I didn't know how long it would take, and I've certainly learned a lot more since then about that. But uh, just at the time, I just had deep conviction in what, what Owen and Des were trying to, and Kieran and David other founders are trying to do. I thought it was inevitable that someone would bring kind of business messaging to the to the fore and customers would think it was much better. Businesses would think it was much better. So I had deep conviction on the kind of vision. And then that was a bigger part of it, honestly, for me. You know, I was kind of taking a bet. But then on the on the um, customer side, the guys were seeing growth. You know, there was um, customers were, were were signing up, people started paying for it. Like I often say to, to people, to kind of startups and entrepreneurs and founders that the kind of true test of a great product is whether people will pay for it.
2: Yeah. Will you give me a dollar?
1: Yeah. Or 10. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. That is the true, tr- you know, people can think if they have a great product, but until people are willing to hand over kind of cold, hard cash, you never really know. Uh, and so they were, they were seeing great growth, early growth. People were paying for it. And the feedback was, was awesome. You know, people had never, I like got that time, you know, it was kind of 20 Whatever, 2012, 2013, you know, businesses had never seen a tool like Intercom before, where like you could just log in and see all your users, all their names and data about them, and just talk to them, just like, oh hey, I want to message that person, they look interesting and get chatting. That was like all new. And so, you know, we used to do research at the time where just people would sign into intercom for the first time and see their user list like, start to load and see their customers, and they were like, Wow, I've I've got Google Analytics, I've got you know other stuff like that, I can see charts and data, but I can never see the people. And I don't see the people. This is uh, unbelievable. And that is more commonplace, of course, as other tools have entered the market. So that was the kind of early traction, you know, it was just rich customer feedback, very positive. And the vision I thought was just very compelling.
2: So in the very beginning of intercoms, well, I'll just go to me. My first experience with it was actually inside of SaaS tools. So like me logging into a SaaS product, they would then, of course, authenticate my account and would know that it's me, Albert. And then I remember the support in the lower right, powered by Intercom. I remember the, for the first time seeing it. That was kind of weird that they knew who I was. Hey, Albert, yeah. <laughs> have you seen our new yeah. feature? I'm like, what is this?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah.
2: over time, at first, you know, taking it back, but it, for sure, I I would much prefer to type in a question and have someone help guide my resource than me. I don't know. Being told to go click the knowledge base and search for my answer. I was, I was like, oh man, I don't want to search the knowledge base. Can someone just please tell me how to do this? Yeah. Is that where you saw traction first in SaaS companies or was it was it somewhere else? Because my first experience was with, was inside SaaS companies.
1: So yeah, it was SaaS. Uh, so Intercom was designed for SaaS at the start, like the kind of first marketing website said uh, for SaaS companies. And the idea there was that you know SaaS companies are... Um, their success, I guess, is predicated on returning customers and ongoing subscription and loyalty, and so they're the companies that would most care about building a relationship with the customers. That, that's what we call Intercom—a a conversational relationship platform. It's the relationship that's at the core of it. So it was for SaaS, and then we started to see just loads of other types of businesses use it, like e-commerce and fintech and all education, all sorts of different types all the way down to like SMBs and CrossFit gyms. And, you know, lots of people were having to go. And so like since then, now our customer base is about half SaaS and about half other industries. Wow. Uh, But SaaS was where it started, yeah.
2: So during this time, you're building the product. You've always been on the product side. You told us earlier that you don't have coding chops.
1: Right, (laughs) that's right.
2: (laughs) But you're also at the forefront of the customer experience. I'm assuming you're talking to quite a bit of customers at that time.
1: Yeah, yeah, in the early days, uh, when I joined Intercom, we had no PMs, no designers. We just had a big amorphous blob of, of people, mostly you know, engineers, writing code and so on. So in the early days, I was just kind of like all hands on deck, PM, designer, researcher. So th- in those days, I was talking to customers every day through Intercom, obviously, uh, but also you know, getting on calls and video calls with people, meeting them in the office when that was practical in their offices usually. And these days I still try and do it as much as I can, like you know, I was on a customer call yesterday, I have another one uh, tomorrow. So I do, as much as possible, still try to stay connected to customers and chat to them.
2: So let's talk about that role of a non-developing product person working with development teams. Yeah. How do you communicate or explain that relationship of communication? Because you have a customer requirement, you have a vision for your product. And what we've heard in the past is that that conversation can become, let's say... I mean, really, like any conversation, you go one of a few ways, right? Either the mm. person's in agreement, understands what you're saying, says, yeah, we can build that. Or they say, no, we can't. Here are the reasons why. How do you work in that environment since you don't have development shops?
1: Yeah. So the way we've set, and by the way, I, I, I talk about this probably for hours. You don't want yeah. that. But <laughs> I'll give you an overview of how we work and, and, and dig in and tell me what would be most useful. So the way we're set up is that we, uh, the three core functions that build the Intercom product, There's product management, PM, product design, and engineering, software engineering. And uh, we then set up the the team so that that the product is broken down and there's small teams that work on different parts of it. And each team is is more or less seven or eight people, one product manager, one designer, one engineering manager, and then the kind of five or so software engineers. And when we hire people, so, so first of all, the roles are very clear what they need to do. The product manager basically owns the problem space, like what problems are customers having? What are the biggest problems? How do we prioritize the problems? Do we really understand the problems that they're having, you know, the things they need? So that's their core domain. The design and engineering are both in the solution space. So the designer will then kind of figure out, okay, what's the solutions to this problem look like? And then they will collaborate with the engineering team on like what's feasible and so on. And when we hire people, we blur the boundaries quite a lot. So we hire engineers who have a curiosity or knowledge about design or product management, and equally product managers who can design a bit, designers who can PM a bit. And so in the best performing teams in Intercom, it's very blurry. Yeah. Uh, it's very collaborative, very fluid. So we don't have things like hard requirements, like we won't write a requirements doc. What's much more likely to happen is we'll have like a really clear articulation of the problem that we're solving for the customer. We'll have a clear articulation of the design solution. That will have been mostly driven by the designer, but the engineers will help shape that in terms of like, is it feasible? And you know, how will it work technically? And we have a principle uh, called think big, start small. So we always say like, hey, look, this, you know, start small. What's the smallest coherent solution to the problem? Let's ship that first, see if it works. If it works, great, we'll move on to the next thing. But think big, Like, you know, we'll come back to this someday. Someone will lift up the hood of that code base. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. don't forget <laughs> about that. And so think big, start small. And then after that, it's very fluid. You know, like I said, there's no real hard requirements written most of the time. They all sit beside each other in a, well, they used to, in, the physical, in a physical space and just talk, you know, they'll like jump in a room and chat or over each other's shoulders and things like that.
2: Is it possible for you to take me through, let's say, a feature set that you guys shipped where that interplay, we could understand that better, Like, if you could anecdotally take us through it? Because I like the way you're talking about it. It's like you're talking about you're going to frame up the problem. It sounds You don't frame up the solution. You frame up a problem. Yeah. You collaboratively come up with ideas like, how could we solve that problem? And like you said, we, what's the smallest way we can solve that problem today? Can you walk us through maybe one of your feature sets that you launched that walk through that same methodology where you framed a problem and then- You know, you didn't tell anyone how to solve it, but the solution was great that you guys came up with.
1: Uh, I can certainly walk through one. Uh, These days, I'm so far removed from reality, probably (laughs) the pragmatic reality of building (laughs) software. Uh, I once was close to it that I I won't probably give you the the details. But here, a good example is, uh, you know, one of the the things people use to come for, of course, is support, customer support. And we have a rules engine. So when a conversation comes in and you, you support query or conversation, comes in, uh, there's a routing engine that can route it. So, you know, if these conditions are met, like, oh, it's it's a VIP customer. Hey, send it over to the VIP inbox, or, Mm -hmm. you know, they're on this plan. Hey, people who know about this plan are in this team. So send it over there. So it's like a rules engine. So we recently rebuilt the whole rules engine pretty much from the ground up. We had one and it just wasn't powerful or flexible enough. So we rebuilt it. So the way that would have worked would have been that the PM would have, and I was relatively close to this, the, the product manager would be talking to customers. It's about the space, you know, what's good, what's not, what could be better? Where does it break? Um, how would you, you know, what do you have the most energy around us solving? And from that, they'll build a kind of a picture of the problem space. And the kind of designer and, and engineers will be a little bit in the loop on that too, especially the designer. So again, it's quite fluid. But then at some stage we'll say, okay, we'll, we'll write basically a brief, a project brief and say, right, these are the problems. But the brief is like just problem space. These are the problems. This is the biggest problem we need to solve. And then they'll and actually we have a principle we've three core principles that we operate with in, in product and engineering. The first one is called start with the problem, which I kind of just described. Mm-hmm. Second one then is called like I said earlier, think big, start small. So then, then they'll go into this think big, start small mode where they'll say like with the rules engine, it'd be like okay, you know we can create these types of rules and this type of forking and all these other types of things in the future, and we probably need to do that based on the customer conversation we just had. We're not going to build all that at the start. That's way too big. It takes us a year. Meanwhile, these customers are like suffering today because it is like one, two, three things. Yeah. We just had those things. We'd solve 80% of their, their grief. So then they'll start small. So the prioritization of the, of the problem space and the solution space is very important. And then we have another principle called ship to learn. So then they'll then like architect a solution. And the designer kind of will be talking to the engineers. They'll have a, a general understanding of like how this rules engine might work. So um, they might understand like, Hey, look, we have these different databases. That's where the conversation data is stored. And, you know, this database actually is, a d- is different to this one. So it's actually gonna be harder to pull out of that one. And, but Hey, we could do it if we build some bridge here. And, you know, so they'll, they'll get the kind of system we, we talk about it, system design at Intercom and I emphasize it a lot and teach people system design. So at the kind of system design level, everyone would be able to like understand how the system works at a kind of basic level. And then the, then the team will start building solutions as fast as possible, very small at the start. They'll check in with the designer and PM and say, hey, look, here's how it's working. Check it out. You know, run, run some kind of um, emulators and just see how the thing compiles and works. And is it slow or fast? Or does it really solve the problem? Then we might go back out to customers and say, like, hey, here's where we're shaping up. Here's how this is working. And they'll give us feedback. That's, yeah, that's it. Ship that. Can I have that now? Or... No, 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 no. You don't understand at all what I was trying to tell you. You know, you got it (laughs) wrong. And and so we'll do that a few times and then ship, you know, and roll it out to all customers and then start to learn. You know, again, we'll set up analytics and data tracking and and continue customer feedback. We use Intercom, of course, for our own support. And so any conversation that our support team has about the rules engine, they will then tag it with the team that owns that part of the product, and with a whole bunch of other stuff, like is it a usability issue? Is it a technical issue? Is it a product problem? And then the team can look up all the feedback and see like, all right, here's all the feedback we have on the rules engine we just shipped, and then kind of go from there.
2: So you mentioned before that there was a the problem. So your problem with the rules engine I don't know if you're able to share, could you, because now it's, it's not there. What was the problem at the time?
1: It just wasn't powerful enough. Gotcha. So the, the engine was kind of like an, it was a kind of basic if this, then that type mm-hmm. engine. So, you know, if these, if, and then kind of a bunch of conditions. So like, yeah, hey, if these conditions are met, then, and it was usually just like route to an inbox. Yep. And so the new engine has way more flexibility. So it can do things like tag a conversation or, you know, set an attribute or, you know, trigger a bot or, you know, so it can just do a lot more mm-hmm. action and then actions has actions as well. So like, like I said, trigger a bot or like start a workflow or things like that. So it can start to trigger things that are not just the support conversation, such as like routing the conversation to the right person or tagging it or, but then triggering other types of workflows.
2: So you mentioned in the conversation that you eventually knew you had to rebuild it because you said we could ship a couple features to start, and solve a lot of our problems, but ultimately it was rebuilt. What was, I guess, the deciding factor for the team, the engineering team when they put in, how did you react when you first heard like, hey, it's going to need a little bit of an overhaul. The code base doesn't support what we're trying to do. Did it make you stomach churn? Because like, oh. I think back to myself when in the develop, when I worked at software companies, whenever I heard something had to be rebuilt or refactored, I wanted to slap my own face. You know, I was like, stop telling me that. Like, why? Yeah. Like, like it has to be redone. Like, no.
1: Yeah. 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 I, I also have like a triggering reaction to the word refactor. It's like not, my fa- not my favorite word. Uh, yeah. I, I think like for us, you know, the company's grown so fast. Um, it's we've scaled incredibly fast and as a result, you know, the things that we are we're learning, we're, we're, we're making mistakes left, right and center. And this is why we're, we're very big into principles. And one of the reasons is we're trying to encode these mistakes into, you know, things that people can follow and not make the same mistakes. New people join, like, let's try and not repeat our mistakes. So, you know, something that, the rules engine was probably built five years ago, the first one. Mm-hmm. And like we learn, we know a lot more now we're like better engineers than we were then better product people than we were then <laughs> based on all the mistakes over the years. And at some stage, I, th- I just feel, you know, at some stage, everything needs a bit of a rewrite. Yeah. Just depends if it's like, is now the time to do it, or we can like hack on a bunch more stuff. And then in a year, it's going to come to that. And you know, it's a bit of an art, I think.
2: So No, I I totally agree. I get it. Software continues to evolve. There's going to be new platforms, technologies available. You've got new things to support. Whatever you've built on just might not be able to handle the other things that are happening right now. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting about your space is how competitive it continues to get, right? When Intercom, well, I feel like when Intercom, when I first got introduced to it, there weren't that many other options. But now I feel like as I go to different sites, like that's how I'm actually learning about all the chat tools that are available because someone will talk to me in, you know, I'm going to, Hopefully, don't get mad at me, but like, there's Drift, there's Live Chat, there's yeah, yeah. you, there's Olark, there's there's a lot, there's a lot of chat tools. Um, and then you got, you know, like companies like Shopify who just straight up integrate Messenger. They're like, you don't even need a chat, like just yeah. use Messenger. You already use it, right? Or Facebook Messenger, right? So, the world's constantly getting more competitive in this space. What what does that mean for you in the space? Like, where you see the space going, and then what are some like things maybe Intercom or you are betting on? To like push the, your product into the future.
1: Yeah. It, it, like, this is fascinating for me. It's obviously near and dear to my heart. But I kind of have two main feelings about the, like, uh, I guess, explosion of competitors. One is, is very positive. It's like, hey, it's, conv- it's like, you know, hey, like proof. Yeah. It's like this thing. All right. It's, it's a thing. You know, in the, in the early days of Intercom, we were the only show in town and we had conviction at the business messenger which is kind of how we think about it. It's like, you know, if WhatsApp was your kind of personal messenger, Intercom was the business messenger for businesses and customers. Right. And in the beginning, it was like, like I said, at the very start, vision, like I just, we just had a conviction in it. Uh, we could have been totally wrong. And, you know, like the early chatbots, <laughs> didn't quite get it right, you know? Um, Don't
2: get me started on those early chatbots. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, I got some terrible experiences, you know, <laughs> show me my order. What do you want? Oh, well, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah that's a whole other deep one. <laughs> But yeah, so I I guess the the good news for us is that we were right about about the space, you know, which I I think was kind of like maybe pretty pretty obvious that it was like going to come to that. So that's good. Like, and the more competitors we see, in a way, the better I think, because Mm -hmm. what we're really doing is competing with email. Email is still the dominant way customers talk. It's like businesses talk to customers for whether it's for marketing or for support. Email is the dominant channel by far, 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 far. And so. We're like, hey, the more messengers that show up, that's kind of the rising tide will, will lift all boats and the volume will shift from email. So that's good. I think that's good. And then you know, Intercom has been copied a lot. I don't worry too much about that either. The big thing for me is there are competitors that do some things better than we do. And there are many competitors who just copy Intercom. It's almost like view source code and like off they go. <laughs> and I don't worry about those people. I worry way more about the competitors who do things better than us, who've like a better version of the thing we, we kind of first came up with. Yeah. And that, that happens, you know, for sure. Sure. And then we need to adapt and learn and, and react and so on.
2: So when you think of the future of conversational enterprise conversation management, or however you guys think of it going forward, what are some of the big technologies or big, let's say, behavioral societal changes that you think are going to influence this industry in the next, let's say, five, 10 years?
1: So we, we call our messenger the business messenger. And that's kind of like a bit of a, a bit of a blessing and a curse. The blessing is that like, hey, it's the messenger. It's just like Facebook or WhatsApp and people get it. Like, oh yeah, that's, that, you know, that's, what, that's what my customers want. And we would look, if can, can it scale? Yeah, we've a whole bunch of tools for, for it to scale. Okay, great, I'm in. So that's like the good side. The other side though, is then people equate it to live chat. Like, oh, that's chat. That's just like live chat. Uh, and actually-
2: Yeah, that's just connecting you to a CSR.
1: Yeah, in real time. Uh, and then people are like, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa! Do I need to employ like a hundred more people here? You know? Yeah. And so, these days, the messengers moved way beyond live chat already. You know, with us, with ours, and other some other companies too. Like, we've got bots for automated support. So you get talking to a bot rather than a human, which uh, can be brilliant if they've the right answer for you, or terrible if they don't. So that's just kind of like a, an executional challenge. And then, uh, you know, so we, we often talk about like uh, human support, which is talking to people. Then there's automated support or self-serve support, which is like talking to a bot or kind of finding the answer yourself. And then there's proactive support, which is um, a company figuring out what question you're about to have before you've had it, and then you, giving you the answer right there in the product. And so we think about all three of these, proactive, automated, and human. And we think about them together, I and mean, this is where this is where I think the future is going. You know, for support for the support industry, I think it's actually going to be huge. Personally, I think it's going to be huge, huge, huge change. The kind of support industry undergoes, uh, if you kind of study kind of the history of it, undergoes a, a huge shift every ten years or so. So you know, from like um, uh, phone systems in the kind of eighties to kind of email in the nineties or two thousands, and it hasn't really changed much. And I, I think the next wave is going to be. We call it a funnel, a support funnel. So like proactive, then automated, then human, powered by a messenger. And of course, like AI, machine learning, these technologies are going to power a lot of the automation. So that's where, that's where I think it's going. It's going to be really, really big, kind of monumental shift.
2: So I think of it in regards to hearing you explain it, and plus hearing other people talk about this industry, is that there's going to be a lot. Right now, I would say let's use, for example, like on. The uh, I don't even know what to call this industry, but like it's like on screen guiding. There's companies like WalkMe mm-hmm. and Pendo that kind of you know you get stuck in a SaaS product, they kind of like help you yeah. figure out where you need to do next and provide support. But then there's also your chat support where you can talk to someone and provide support. So you're talking about industries like they're starting to converge on each other's feature set. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like because you mentioned before how you're talking about in the future, there's probably going to be a way for you to chat, get proactive support. Meaning I'm stuck on a Let's say a field or a form. I don't know what I'm doing, but you're talking about chat coming up and saying, "Hey, do you need help with X, Y, and Z?" Right. And then other companies, their whole focus is to build guides like that. Do you like? How do you see? Is it going to be integration, acquisition, or just expanded scope? What do you or is it a combination of all three things that you think are going to happen in this space to solve for these problems? Because you're right. I think chat's where people start, but what they want chat to do probably requires other tools or other feature sets that aren't in chat tools. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely do. Yeah. Yeah. This is like um, very much part of our strategy as a company. So, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we we call Intercom the conversational relationship platform. The reason we chose the word conversational is because that's kind of the messenger piece of it. And the relationship is the end goal, like customer relationships is what you want, loyalty and so on, repeat purchases. And then the platform piece is what you're talking about here, where we have products for both marketing. Like competing with Pendo and WalkMe and so on, and for support, so competing with like Zendesk or LivePerson or those kinds of companies, but it's on one platform, and the and the reason is exactly like you said, because there's a huge overlap between the two, and when you get into like proactive support, you're kind of tiptoeing into like product education territory, onboarding territory, That's yeah, right. and so a, a lot of the time, what we see is the reason that a lot of our customers choose Intercom is because we do both. And their support team and their marketing team are starting to talk to one another in the past. Maybe they didn't talk all that much, (laughs) you know, the world's changing and, uh, and you know, there's a whole bunch of things we could get into as well around that. Like there's just way more pressure on support teams these days than there used to be, uh, you know, kind of humans can't scale, but the internet's exploding and the pandemic we're currently in is like accelerating that change really dramatically where all these businesses are now shut in the real world. They've had to move online. And they're like, the kind of growth is huge. You know, and like Shopify platforms like that, you know, ma- massive growth these days. And so there's more pressure on support teams to deliver answers, but just don't have the people. It's just not economically doesn't work out. And so they're getting talking to the marketing team about like, hey, how do we get messages out ahead of time? Or, and so there's a huge blurriness happening there. Yeah. And, that, and, we, and so we do both very intentionally because we believe in this. We believe this blurriness is good. Uh, and that's kind of where the future will go.
2: So let me ask you a question about, so I call it the Jarvis of the future, right? Because we've seen Iron Man and Jarvis does everything for him, yeah. right? And yeah. so I'm thinking about like, let's, let's do something that we all know how to do or have done uh, booking reservations for flights, hotels, or cars. doesn't matter, booking a reservation. Do you see a future where, you know, I log into, let's say my airline and a chat tool comes up and I just tell it. Like I literally tell it, like it's going to have a microphone button and it just can record my voice. And I can say, show me flights. It knows I'm in Raleigh right now, right? Show me flights to France. Yeah. And the chat tool captures it. And then it triggers a bot that then pushes the search query that then shows me flights and then asking you, you know, do you see that coming? And is that where you, well, first of all, do you see that coming? Like how far away do you think we're coming to like where I can use my voice to activate all the searches and queries that I need instead of. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about flying right now. I have to drop down. Like, can I use your location? Yes. Do you want a sick rally? Yes. Like, do you want to sort these by like, yeah. you know, getting a flight is actually quite a bit of fields. You got to fill them out. Do you see a place where chat tools are taking the request and then triggering all the events that needed to make the, uh, the results come back?
1: I, yeah, I do. I do. And I think yeah, how far away is that? I think it's going to emerge. Um, like some of it exists already. Some of that kind of stuff exists already. I think it will start to emerge piece by piece over the next few years. One thing to kind of of like almost caveat the answer though, so I do think that's the future where a lot of the kind of things that can be automated will be just kind of like some principle or rule around this, like anything that can be automated will be over some period of time because it's faster and predictable and, you know, not prone to human error and so on. Uh, That's good for both sides businesses can kind of have economies of scale and then customers get answers way faster. More accurately, I do think it's coming. However, I I think there was a a shift uh, back to our chatbot. The rise and fall of the (laughs) chatbot. You know, with any new technology, people get excited and like they think it's going to solve all the problems. And then there's the kind of like trough of disillusionment, and then it kind of rises again in 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 a more mature form. I think we're on the rise of the more mature form. But what we've learned is that you know chatbots are great for lots of things, but they're not better for everything. Yeah, you know, so like. Like weather was a great example. Like trying to talk to a bot about the weather, it's probably not as good as a weather app. Just look the we- you know, just look at my screen. Oh yeah, right, it's gonna rain. Yeah, you know. Versus like, hey chat bot, will it rain today? Or, you know. <laughs> so they're not better for everything, uh, and forms and drop downs are still sometimes just a more efficient workflow. But I do think we'll start to see a lot of things move into messengers. You know, so when we when we talk about that little kind of circle, the kind of live chat circle. This is what I was talking about earlier. We call it the messenger, which is a kind of blessing and a curse because people still equate that with chat, but you can hit the messenger. It's kind of like, a, uh, like the, the name intercom even is, you know, the kind of like intercom in your, in your yeah. school or whatever, when you're a kid. And yeah. it's just, yeah, push button to talk. Yeah. Push button to talk. Exactly. <laughs> push button, talk, talk to who? Talk to a bot, talk to a person, whatever is, whatever's best, you know, you, yeah. you'll get the kind of best yeah. experience. And we talk about that a lot too internally. The transition from a bot to a person is a big deal. Uh, having like a graceful transition and like an appropriate transition. And if someone's getting frustrated with a bot, let's get them talking to a person. So I do think, yeah, I, I do think it's coming.
2: Well, I like how you think about it in terms of, is it a person or a bot? Because whenever I hear people talk, they want to be fully dependent on bots or NLP. I think to myself, that's just so far away because I've just seen a lot of NLP-based tools out there. Like half the time they don't understand what I'm talking about because I think we yeah. all talk in our colloquial ways or we all have accents or I mean NLP technology just isn't there like oh because for our, for me to say like for example you know show me my order like what like I, I'm just thinking of like the bots I've interacted with what order yeah like the order yeah. I made when it's like I don't know I'm asking you <laughs> show me all orders there's like I don't understand what you're saying it's like this is frustrating
1: yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah again like the kind of history of technology is always useful It's kind of like pull up and think about, and a, a big, a big kind of eye opener for me, uh, was the kind of like rise of the emoji, you know, like all the way back kind of whenever 2012, 2013, where yeah. I think emojis triggered a huge kind of migration to messenger usage because suddenly you had this like rich way of like trying to say, we actually feel, you know, without words. And right now there's no good way to do that with the bot. Right. You know, the bot doesn't understand the emoji or the kind of like you know. Phraseology and like local linguistics.
2: Sarcasm. Yeah.
1: Sarca- <laughs> right. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Can't figure any of the stuff out. Yeah. So, one of the things you also have done is you've written this book called Grouped How Small Groups of Friends Are the Key to Influence on the Social Web. Talk a little bit about that. What is the, so for anyone who doesn't know, what is this book about and how does it play into, you know, your product vision?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I wrote the book. Oh, I wrote the book in 2011, I think. Uh, I was at Facebook at the time and this was like during the Facebook, Google social wars. I don't know if people remember that.
2: Right. Yeah. When Google launched Google plus,
1: that's right. I <laughs> tried
2: to move everyone over to it. Like yeah. everyone needs a plus page.
1: Yeah. So I worked on Google plus and left in the middle of the project <laughs> to join Facebook, <laughs> which wasn't the most popular decisions at Google, but, uh, I don't know. I didn't think it was going very well. So I, I, um, ship. but, uh, the book, again, kind of going back to that time, the social media was kind of only really in its infancy. And at that time on Facebook, you'd kind of post to your wall and like everyone would see the post. And that's not how real life works. Uh, and you know, most social, most social products that take off are rooted in some, are rooted in like classic human behavior that's existed for like hundreds and thousands of years you know, things that understand like identity and connection and how people meet people and talk to people and uh, associate themselves with things and all sorts of stuff. And so at the time, there was no real, you know, messenger apps hadn't really started or taken off. And so at the time, the kind of ideas were, were pretty simple, which was, hey, you know, small groups of friends is how we interact in real life. And that's going to, that's where the future to the social software is going to mm-hmm. go. It's got to be that way uh, because that's how real life works. And I think most of that turned out to be true with the rise of WhatsApp and so on. Uh, but we have also seen, you know, a lot of the other stuff was taken off too, like TikTok and Instagram and, you know, people have built huge audiences. And so public posting is, is also a direction that kind of continued. Um, but the kind of origins of the book were small kind of social groups is, is how it, it'll work. And then a lot of the book was, a bit, was kind of aimed at marketers and, and businesses in terms of reaching those audiences, because it's very different to mass marketing, you know, like billboards and TV campaigns, which is where the the industry still was at the time versus like highly targeted, highly targeted ads and marketing that would spread amongst groups of friends. So like word of mouth was a big part of it.
2: How did that, recognizing those social behaviors, how does that influence the product roadmap, let's say at Intercom, right? Because Mm -hmm. I think your hypothesis is right. I think we still enjoy that intimacy. So how do you ensure that? Because you mentioned before, I think everyone's had the experience of calling a call center for a company, right? Where you're talking to multiple people that seemingly, no matter how they try to pass you off, right? Yeah. They say, hey, Paul, you need to talk to someone in this department. I'm going to transfer you. You get transferred. You got to start all over. What's your name? My name's Paul. Right. Where's your account number? I just told seven people, but here I go again. It made you feel like you were in this huge ecosystem, right? As a consumer, it makes you feel like you're in a huge ecosystem. It doesn't feel like you're really getting helped. Yeah. You feel like you're just being passed along. It's generally a bad experience. I've never heard anyone say that's a good experience. Is that how you guys frame how CSR should work? And do you have to almost educate companies that this is how you need to route people in Intercom so that you get this small group feel?
1: That all resonates. It you know, kind of comes back to our mission. Our mission says we want to make internet business personal. For a mission to be any way meaningful, you've got to believe that the present is the opposite of the mission if you like so that like internet business must be impersonal yeah and an example that we often use is that when you just described where you're like who is this person?" oh here i go it's me i just told five people you know yeah which is why like you mentioned earlier the first time you signed into a, a product using intercom was like you yeah, know hi albert and so that was uh like a step in the right direction i think at the time one of the hardest challenges is, is that all of these companies have like legacy systems in the background And, you know, when you're kind of being bounced from, like, person to person, department to department, you're kind of being bounced around these legacy systems. And phone, the kind of world of call centers and phones, they're from the kind of, like, 80s and 90s, and just a long, long legacy there. And in the same way that people don't call each other as much as they used to, you know, they now message far more. Yeah. Again, I just think you're going to see the transition uh, from call centers to businesses doing the same thing. You know, it's going to to transfer over.
2: So... In your world, have you seen increased I'm assuming you've seen increased usage or increased demand for intercom or chat services because I'm trying to think of the companies that say that worked where their CSR teams for example were all huddled together
1: yeah right yeah that's
2: obviously they're not bringing them in anymore or maybe they are I don't know but <laughs> but I'm curious what you're seeing did you see in data that this change was happening as well or did it It was more like the change happened. Then you saw the data start revealing it.
1: Uh, A little bit of both. Um, A little bit of both. You know, we didn't see like, it wasn't like monumental changes or shifts. When we talk to customers of ours, for example, that also have call centers, typically what happened was the technology is kind of like, you got to be in the call center because the phone is there and the thing and the headset and the.
2: Yeah. The routing. Everything. Yeah. The, The measurement tool.
1: Yeah. The whole thing is like in some building. And the building was designed like you know years and years ago, and the systems are old. And so suddenly, all these people are at home. And for mo- what most companies did first was just turn it off. They were like, "We can't support phone system anymore because people are calling the empty building." So they had to turn it off, which kind of led to some of them thinking like, "Well, when do we turn it back on? Do we need to turn it back on? Should we turn it back on?" A lot of them started using messaging and starting to realize that hey, you can do a lot of this stuff through the messenger, you know. Some companies really, really value the the personal touch of a phone call, especially if they're kind of like high, you know, like the product is expensive, right? So so it's kind of like a high, high dollar amount per customer. The phone is like a personal, you know, they they kind of value that. I kind of understand that too. But then they kind of started to realize, I guess, like we have in our personal lives, that that's not as important as it might have been or, you know, in the past. And actually messaging can be just as personal. And there's voice integrations with all the messengers and You can use voice services via the messenger and make phone calls, just like you can call someone in WhatsApp, same thing. But the kind of shift is, you know, I don't think the shift is there yet generally. Uh, So we're going to see how it plays out over the next year or so, you know, as as companies still can't turn these call centers back online for, for large part.
2: Yeah. I'm with you 100%. I've already had some interesting experiences because everyone of course is buying products, shipping home, trying to call them. It's not happening. And then some of them that don't have chat integrated, I've, I will say this, for the companies that have not integrated chat in some form that gets me to a CSR fast, you're falling behind yeah. because I can't stand it now. Like when I, get to, when I get to a site and I don't have the option to chat, it's frustrating because I want to move at my speed and I always feel like if I have to call, I'm going to be in the queuing line. And of course, yeah, the call just makes me feel like I'm about to enter. That hellhole of like press one, press two, press three. I can't help you. Let me transfer you. It's like every, everyone's scared of the phone now.
1: Yeah, it, it, yeah. You touched on <laughs> something there that 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 actually I think about a lot. You know, w- w- one thing I often say, and this isn't like news or new or to anyone. You know, is that like the customer experience is the kind of new battleground. Yeah, and like this kind of multiple huge kind of macro shifts here. One is like I said earlier, all these businesses are going online. Uh, so that's a huge thing, and there's like just more and more and more competition there, and then. Um, it's just so easy to start a company now, especially an internet company. You can just kind of like do it, do it in your garage, yep. you know, or your bedroom these days. Yeah. And everyone is having a go. It's just so, f- it's, che- it's free. It's che- you're cheap, you know, and like things like, you know, all the things that were hard in the past, like hosting. And now you've got AWS and all sorts of software and in- infrastructure. It's so easy. So we're kind of seeing this explosion in choice because of this explosion in new types of customers. And any market that's growing, People are quick to see, like, like Intercom, they're quick to see, hey, the Intercom are seeing some success over here. And then there's like a lot of copycat companies. Yep. Uh, and some of them do, do things really well. They're good good companies doing interesting stuff. And so this explosion in choice has really made the customer experience kind of like new battleground. And like you said, I also do believe that over some period of time, the companies that don't provide personal service and personal support... Will start to suffer. People yeah. will start quitting. They'll start buying elsewhere.
2: It's too many options. It's too many options to have bad experience. No doubt about it. All right, we're hitting that time. It is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Paul, this is where we ask you fast, rapid questions, try to get to know you a little better beyond your SVP of product chops. You ready? Yeah. What's the most noticeable difference? between working in Dublin and working in San Francisco?
1: Yeah, the thing I think I lost most when I moved back home was the ability to connect with anybody. You know, the Valley is still the place where all the kind of most experienced entrepreneurs are. You can't just pick up the phone or message these days uh, and meet them for coffee and learn, learn from their lessons learned, mistakes, all that kind of stuff. So that's not as much of that in Dublin.
2: So is there a big tech scene inside of Dublin?
1: Yeah, it's pretty big. It's pretty good. And it's growing pretty fast, actually. Uh, But it's still nothing like the Bay Area. Gotcha.
2: And what's, in your mind, the the biggest challenge of working, because you're international. You mentioned a lot of your teams are in San Francisco. What's one of the biggest challenges of working internationally?
1: Uh, The biggest, yeah, the biggest one is not being able to talk to people face-to-face. But that's changing. You know, like Intercom is very much a face-to-face culture, like an oral culture. And uh, we would get on planes to solve differences of opinion, literally get on the plane. <laughs> uh, and we can't do that anymore. you know. And so now we've got to, we've had to figure this out. How do we collaborate across video calls and email? And so we're trying to get better at being a better written culture and transferring knowledge and looping people in on decisions that we make and so on. So it's a journey for us to kind of shift.
2: There you go. Now, we did a little homework on you and we found you're a father to twins. Is that accurate? That's right. All right, what is the best advice you can give to someone who's about to have twins?
1: Get them on a schedule. Get them on the same schedule. We we um we were a bit military about the thing at the start. Uh just the thoughts of having newborn babies and not and they not wake up at the same time and not sleep at the same time. So we had a military operation to get them sleeping at the same time so that we might get two or three hours where we're not we don't have a very, like crying baby in front of us.
2: There you go. If I go visit Dublin, Ireland. What's the number one place you recommend me go see as a tourist?
1: Oh, wow. Dublin, uh, Dublin's a great city to visit, I think. Um, it's by the seaside, so there's a lot of great coastal walks. It also has the biggest um, enclosed park in the whole of Europe, the Phoenix Park. It's huge. has wild deer, all sorts of stuff. Uh, but if I pick one thing to do, I would say take the DART train line, which kind of runs along the coast and literally hugs the coast, like runs across cliff tops at times, and just stop off along the way. Just do the circuit, up, you know, top to bottom, jump out. If you're into the seaside, you'll love it.
2: There you go. And what is a quintessential Irish meal that you missed while living in the United States?
1: Yeah, Dublin is great for food nowadays, actually. I thought when I came back from San Francisco, I'd suffer bad coffee and bad meals, but actually it's the economic downturn in 2012, or whenever it was, 2008, sorry, 2008. 2008 yeah. Uh, yeah, there was an explosion of new restaurants and, and so on in Dublin. People kind of got laid off from their job and actually started restaurants and cafes. And uh, So it's been amazing. Like I, I, maybe one thing I would, would highlight is uh, the kind of breakfast fry, kind of bre- very unhealthy <laughs> sausages and bacon and grilled tomatoes and mushrooms and bread and potatoes. And, but if you had a night out, you're not feeling the best the next morning, which I was sometimes in San Francisco. You miss a good Irish fry up.
2: (laughs) There you go. And then last but not least, what is one question or piece of advice you would give to someone who's just now going to take over product, a VP of product, I guess VP of product, maybe a CTO that now gets product responsibility. What's the number one piece of advice you would give to that new person that's now got this responsibility?
1: I'd probably say two things if I'm allowed. One is that one of the biggest lessons I've learned in, in all the years kind of building Intercom is at the end of the day, it's all about the people, you know, hiring great people, giving them an environment which they can grow and learn and succeed and thrive. That's the most rewarding thing for me is kind of seeing people grow and go on to do amazing things and do things better than you ever could. And, and that's how the company, it's a very rewarding, but it's how the company wins too. That's the only way the company will win. So investing in people, that was a bit of a journey for me to go on. I learned a lot of lessons so I had to do that wrong. So I would say like, get to know the team, and the people, learn what makes them tick, learn what they're good at. Don't judge people too early, give them opportunities to succeed let them try new things. Uh, and you might be surprised. You know, I was oftentimes in the past uh, surprised at, at people's ability to do just amazing things. That's one. I guess you don't understand is just talk to customers. Get talking to your customers. If you don't talk to your customers and understand them deeply, you aren't going to go very far.
2: <laughs> there you go. You know, it's interesting. We interview people in product. We interview people in the CTO role, CIO role, and they all come back to that same advice you would think from an outsider's perspective that's all about the technology understanding how things integrate but it's not it's typically the people how do people and customers react to your products and services
1: yeah 100 percent. yeah 100 percent.
2: paul i want to thank you for joining us today on it visionaries i hope you had a good time we're going to looking forward to sharing your knowledge and wisdom of all things chat coming soon
1: thanks i love you to be on the show
0: IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.